Hi, good morning, and welcome to the ZP um, vlog and podcast. So we like to do this every Sunday at approximately 8 a.m., um, and I'll essentially jump straight into it. So we just like to say put out our news and sort of do a wrap-up for the week. So one of the things that we did talk about um, this week was actually the measurement of um, capsaicin in um, chilies. So there's a standard out there. There's, um, there's um, well, th- at least three organizations, one in India, one called um, ASTA and another one called AOAC. They have these different methodologies um, which generally rely on HPLC to measure capsaicin. It's very interesting because people hold these, you know, in, in high regard and, you know, these organizations are good, uh, are good organizations. But when you actually dig down into it, the methodologies that people are kind of relying on or, or believing in, let's say, are actually, um, they're not validated necessarily from actually measuring chilies. So one of the, things that goes on in this world. There's a lot of sort of chili and chili powder usage in India. Um, people use the AOAC method for actually measuring the capsaicin in those chilies. But when you read the AOAC method, um, it's written there, it says not for chili powder. So it's almost like a sort of, um, it's a test that's being used, but it's actually not validated for actually measuring the sample type that's actually being used. So it's kind of interesting when you dig into these things and you sort of find out the details um, on what's um, actually going on within an industry. So that was something that we discovered um, or we've realized of recent. But I'd say this this kind of happens quite a lot in the world, actually. You can have, you know, a lot of people all sort of doing something and it's kind of, you know, ingrained within the culture or the norms of that industry. And then actually you can discover, um, I've done this a couple of times, where actually, you know, there's an error, let's say, and, you know, it sort of sometimes invalidates what's actually going on. Um, something else that we've um, talked about a little bit more this week as well is really our um, biosensor developers um, um, evaluation kit, EV, EVK. So in electronic engineering, they really like to have an EVK an evaluation kit. We do have such an evaluation kit, um, at least for our electronics called um, our um, single purpose biosensor circuits. Bit of a mouthful, I think EVK is a little bit easier to say. But we do have this. I mean, it's very elegant, you know, in terms of, you know, one of the powers of electrochemistry um, is really the electronics can be very small form factor. Look at any glucose meter, look at any wearable glucose sensor, which is called CGM, continuous glucose monitoring, and you find very small um, set of electronics there. So that's one of the elegances of um, electrochemistry. And we do have um, an EVK kit for that kind of um, work. Um, Something that, um, I mean, this is just a general statement, but electrochemistry, I think it touches upon that piece, um, earlier, my comment earlier on, that um, electrochemical sensors can actually be intrinsically very small. Um, and actually, you can get quite a lot of signal from them. So, for example, a fiber optic is intrinsically small, um, and you can get good signal from it. But electrochemistry is almost more so, because with electrochemistry, the signal we're getting is electrons, where with fiber optics, they have to... So excite and generate photons, and then its photons are essentially the signal back for them as well. So electrochemistry does really offer you a very small um, sensor. And I think this small sensor and the fact that you can use small electronics is really kind of changing the game. I think we kind of call it the smart bioedge, where you can use this kind of sensors now in environmental monitoring, health applications, agricultural applications, food and beverage, and, you know, I don't want to say you name it, but essentially where else can we go with these things? And 
I suppose that will come along in a minute when I talk about um, actually smart packaging because people really are sort of naming um, things. We just did a quick um, webinar just now, in fact, really about uh, measuring soil health. Um, so that is one of the obviously applications that's um, for biosensors as well. And there we talked about NPK, nitrate, phosphate, potassium, but also sodium, ammonium, urea, pH, and TAS, total antioxidative status, all as markers for um, actually measuring um, soil health. Um, I just mentioned it as well that, you know, that biosensors are sort of changing the game. And one of them, I think, is actually smart packaging. I think this is really something that's kind of maturing at this point. So if you want to measure a um, an analyte or property of a solution, then um, electrochemical biosensors really offer up uh, an ideal solution because you know they're intrinsically often printed the kind of parameters that they can measure be it um, ph or salinity or conductivity um, they intrinsically measure even um, redox potential which is an indicator of antioxidative properties electrochemistry really offers it um, and again that sort of part where um, electrochemistry can also be driven by small electronics and small power electronics as well also lends the methodology to doing things like smart packaging and understanding the um, the state of the um, material within that packaging. And at ZP, we do have the Sensi All platform. So that means that we really can get from sensor to cloud um, really effortlessly. So this is the kind of IoT of packaging is, or the Internet of Things of packaging, I think is, um, is really here at this point. So that's something that we have um, discussed um, this week as well. I suppose, therefore, we describe it as kind of QR-enabled um, sensors. And QR-enabled is sort of, because the sensor itself can be printed, the QR code that kind of enables that sensor to be used is also printed. So we have a very kind of, you know, printing appears several places in our technology stack. And um, that, I'm not going to call it irony, but that importance is actually not lost upon us. We have put a lot of information out there this week, really, about um, glucose sensing, because we do think that glucose sensing or glucose strips for even though that's a very commoditized technology these days, and by commoditized, I mean, you know, you wouldn't necessarily start a glucose strip manufacturing company because really the only thing you can compete on in these days is price, you know, and so it's sort of a race to the bottom. But then we can learn a lot of lessons from the glucose strip. Um, and so we put some sort of uh, images up this week describing the layout of a glucose strip. And we put out images um, actually talking about the cross section of a glucose strip. If you if you cut a glucose strip across um, in two different points, um, you'll get different um, essentially materials, but we have sort of described that. And we've already really talked about actually translating glucose strip manufacturing into other biosensor manufacturing. And we did um, definitely put a video out about that. And I think it comes back to earlier on, I was saying that, you know, the, one of the benefits of electrochemistry is small sensor sizes possible, Scaling of manufacturing is proven by the glucose strip. The electronics um, can be really low cost, look at any glucose meter. And actually the volume size can be very small as well. Like 300 nanoliters um, is a typical glucose strip um, volume. So these are all the sort of bits and bobs of information that we've put out there um, this week. I think that with that, I'll sort of leave it and say, you know, we're going to have our vlog and podcast again next week. Um, if you have any questions of ZP, um, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. I think it's www.zimmerpeacock slash contact um, and you'll find us. But as I say, any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Okay, thanks very much.